Hello and welcome to Data is Plural, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Singer Vine. On this episode, we have engineer Vikram Oberoi, whose dataset of Atari emails I featured in the September 21st, 2022 edition of the Data is Plural newsletter. Without further ado, here we go. My name is Vikram Oberoi. I'm here to talk about atariemailarchive.org, which is a curated collection of emails that were sent at Atari between 1983 and 1992. Um, all the emails there come from the inbox of one hardware engineer whose name is Jed Margolin. He released them on his personal website many years ago. How did you come across the emails in the first place? I came across them when I was browsing Kotaku uh, sometime in 2015. Kotaku is a gaming blog. And uh, I don't know how I came across this post because it was actually posted in 2012. But I got linked to it and um, they shared a couple of tidbits from the archive on their blog and they linked directly to Jed Margolin's emails. And so I got started there. And yeah, that's, that's how I found them out about them. And what was your familiarity with or interest in Atari before you started reading those emails? Like minimal. I actually didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually know that much about Atari. And truthfully, like what is interesting to me about the archive is not Atari itself. Like I didn't go in thinking, wow, like I want to learn a ton about Atari. I went in thinking like, oh, this is cool. Here's an engineer who worked at Atari. I can see his Atari inbox. And that was actually a lot more exciting to me. I did know a couple of things. I know that Atari like tanked in the eighties. I knew that they like, you know, were big and then they suddenly disappeared. I know they had like hardware cabinets that they built for arcade games. I knew they had a console that did quite well before the NES, but then, you know, they tanked. And actually what's interesting is that the emails all cover that period. You can see a bunch of emails about layoffs and stuff in the early 80s and various struggles that they had in the later years too. I generally like reading primary source material. Like it's just fun. And so when I found it, it just got me hooked. I would say like Atari email archive, like that, that the notion of this curation existing started with a bunch of emails that I just sent people. Like I would talk about it with folks as I was hanging out with them. And then I'd just like keep talking about these emails. I'd share it with them. Uh, and then I'd send them an email like maybe the next day. I was like, here are like five messages you should check out. And I'd like copy paste them. And what was that initial experience? Like you land on the website and what's it like to read those emails? It was, um, it was challenging to read the emails. Like I was reading them on my phone. That's where I came across the blog link. And like Jed's website is just kind of like a big plain text website. There's just a lot of text from like, you know, one side of the browser pane to the other, and it's very long and it's a very old school website. And then when he links to his emails, they're all just like very long plain text files. So it is one file for every year. There are 12 of them, I think, or 11. And it's formatted in this like way that this program formatted emails in the 80s on a Vax mainframe. And uh, so it's not easy to read. It's not meant for human consumption, but you do get a set, like you see like the subject header and like, you know, who it's from and who it's delivered to and things like that. And, and there's a clear delineation when like a new email has started and you can see when the content starts. So it's like not totally alien. It's just not that easy. And so like I was reading them as like a giant file on my iPhone and I was just kind of scrolling down, reading stuff as I went along. Who was Jed in this organization and why did he publish the emails? I have no idea how, why 
Jed published the emails. I corresponded with him uh, a bunch while I was building entireemailarchive.org. I never asked him that question. I really should have. I feel really silly that I didn't. So I'm not sure why he did it. But Jed, uh, Jed was a hardware engineer at Atari. He worked there from 1979 to 1992. Uh, and he worked in the coin-op division, which was about 200 employees at its height. He talks a little bit about this on his website. Um, the coin-op division at Atari built cabinet arcade games. Like they were the dominant sort of part of the industry before consoles. From my impression in the archive, like Jed seems like a really, like a super technical hardware engineer. Works probably a ton. He's like, has his hands on a ton of projects. People just ask him to do stuff all day long. Uh, and then the other thing is that he seems pretty testy. Like he just, he just seems to like snap at people and get angry a lot. How did the email system work at Atari? What did people use it for? So uh, it was super different uh, to what email works today. He does talk a little bit about this on his website. Uh, and I also, in the GitHub repository where I published the Atari email archive uh, data set, um, I also link to a few emails in the data set that talk about, like sort of give more specifics around how email works. But I guess the context around it all is that at some point in the 80s, Atari bought uh, Vax mainframes for PCB designers, folks who were designing printed circuit boards for their hardware. But these email, these uh, these mainframes also had email programs on them, and it, it served that purpose too. And so, picture this: you've got this like mainframe that is sitting somewhere in your building, and in that same building there are various various like dumb terminals that are connected to this mainframe by wire through Ethernet. And these terminals, uh, they connect everyone who is using these mainframes or using the same computer. It's just one computer. And he would open up the email program and you type up your email and tell it which user on the system you want to send it to. Like there were no email addresses. There was like, you know, Jeremy, you would be, you would have a user account. I would have a user account in Vikram. And that'd be like, I want to send this to Jeremy. But like they had four different mainframes. One's called Kim, one's called Ernie, one's called Charm. The other one's called Sandy. There, these names exist in the headers. That's what you'll see. And so I'd be like, oh, I know Jeremy's on Kim. So I'm going to do Kim colon Jeremy. And then I'm going to write a subject line and, you know, I'll write my email. Uh, and then that'll like dump a file in your user folder with like permission so that you can read it. They're also developing etiquette and they're all figuring out how to use email at the time. There are a ton of all caps angry emails in there that you would never see today. Like it just... No one sends email like that anymore. It doesn't, it's like, everyone understands that etiquette. Like you just don't send an all caps email, but there are a lot of them in the archive. Right. It only took a few decades to get over that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the email program did not come with a carbon copy functionality. So you'd have to like, you know, just send it to multiple people, which is totally fine. But then someone was like, I created a hack so that you could put a CC in front of the person you're sending it to to show that your intent is to copy them on it. Huh, me. But what, what's really funny about that is, uh, so I read all 4,000 of Jed's messages because I did thread all of them. Threading did not exist in email. And when I was curating it, I was like, ah, the only way to like make this worthwhile is to be able to see the full thread. Like I can't just link to one of these messages and leave it up to a reader to figure out where to find all the other stuff. And so one of the things I noticed as I was reading all this is um, there's like a period of time where like Jed is uh, receives like requests from some other department. I think it's actually from Ed Log, who is 
one of the co-designers on Asteroids and and uh, for many major games. And I think this is later in the company's history. I'm guessing that they had like they're like we need another hit like Edlog. Like he can own he can do whatever he wants. You know, reach out to anyone. And Jed gets all these emails from Edlog requests to do like hardware stuff. And uh, he CCs his boss. <laughs> As he sends it to Jed, and then Jed replies and says, "CC's his own boss." And he's like, "Hey, you got to talk to Rick to figure out if he can use my time or not." So all this, like, all the same, like, weird passive aggressive behavior that happens today, like, uh, that's sort of like that. That was enabled by this little carbon copy hack. That, like, you know, it was just hmm. kind of neat. Yeah. And so you read all four thousand plus, yeah, emails and tried to thread them. How did you decide if there wasn't native threading? How did you decide what a thread was? I just made my best attempt at doing that. Like, it was not always clear whether or not a message was part of the same thread. But I would say like 90% of the time, it was. Like, you would be reading a bunch of messages. And as you're reading through like where the messages or whatever, you keep sort of a little like cache of the last, you know, 10 or so that you read. And often things that are part of the same thread end up happening soon after that. And I'd remember, oh, this is like, there's this guy talking about a spell checker. It's the same person. It's about spell checking. Cool. I'm going to add to that thread. And so there's this whole thread that's all about this one person fixing bugs in the spell checker he made. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what other work did it take to turn what Jed published on his website into the data at atariemailarchive.org? A lot. Uh, yeah, the work was the work to do this was pretty significant. It was definitely a, a weird obsession that I had for a while, and then culminated in in doing this thing in 2017. So the work involved uh, first, Jed has all these text files uh, that have all the emails, so I had to parse them all. Like the the way that the emails were all formatted were pretty inconsistent, so I had to kind of infer when things would like go wrong and see these like random like long horizontal lines in the app. I was like, oh, I didn't parse an email properly. Or I'd see one email actually contain two of them. So I had some parsing code that has all these exceptions to parse uh, an email format that was written in the 80s for these mainframes. And so I wrote that. And then once I got all the email messages there, I had actually initially built out like a search interface over the messages thinking, wow, that would like be a really fun way to, to, to be able to view um, all these messages. So I did all that work. I built like a little search index and then like a search interface and then ways to show you the messages, kind of similar to what the site looks like today, but like without all the curation. Um, and then I scrapped it because it was actually not a great way for folks to learn about the archive. Like hmm. they just didn't know what was in there. So I did a bunch of that work and I threw it away. And then I decided to go in the, the sort of deep curation route. And that involved even more work. And when I did that, I got back to thinking, oh, like I cannot just show folks like a single message at a time. Like this whole thread about the spell checker is really interesting because, you know, the 10 emails that the guy sends after the first one are about all the exceptions that he had to deal with. And that's, that is far more interesting than just the single message. And that's the point that I was like, okay, I guess I will bite the bullet and thread every single one of these. So I built a tool to help me thread it. Like it was really janky. Like it was, um, it was bare bones. It did just enough for me to personally go in and say, these messages are related. And then I sat in a cap- at like a coffee shop on Capitol Hill in Seattle, where I was living at the time. And for like many afternoons, I just sat there and did this. And I manually threaded every single one of those messages. That was the most time consuming part of this project, but uh, it was totally worth it. Like the archive is better for it. Like you can read so much more 
in one go. And then I started doing categorization and tagging and and curation. And that was more fun, like just by virtue of reading everything. As I was reading all of the messages, I kind of had a spreadsheet going. It's like, this is interesting. This is interesting. This is interesting. And it was a lot easier at that point. Uh, and then, you know, whatever front end work that had to happen to make Atari email archive.org work. But that was, that was it. That was kind of the bulk of the work. About how many hours do you think that took in all? I would say that threading all the messages took me about a hundred hours. Like wow. that's my guess. It was a lot of afternoons where I'm just like sitting there. Was there any point where you thought you might just give up? No, I, I no, actually, no. I was just like, I, I was too, uh, I was too far into the project at that point. Like, I was like, this has to exist. I don't know what was going through me. <laughs> I was, I was, I was just really excited by it. Uh, yeah, I had a deep time. obsession. Yeah, it was a deep obsession, and it was an obsession that lasted for years. But um, I think that it would be really cool for like like folks in like the digital humanities to build tools to make stuff like this easier. Like I, you know, to, to give folks who are interested in reading like thousands of emails in this data set and like curating them and helping people make sense of them. Like I know AI will, you know, it's getting to a point where you can do more here. Like I've been thinking about sort of feeding some of the stuff to chat GPT and then like maybe being able to ask questions of it and sort of learn a little bit about Jed and things that were going on in Jed's inbox and see if that was an interesting way to like explore the archive. But I do think that there is a very human element of like having to go through the messages and understand like the context and what's going on that it is not capable of doing, to, at least today. And so it would be awesome to have tools for people to do this sort of thing. I would love to see this done for other archives as well. I would love to see this done for the Enron archive. Unfortunately, it's just huge. And do you have a favorite email from the cache? My favorite thread in the cache is one that I link to in top threads. This email is all about how Atari started clawing back at royalty payments that they would give game designers. And so this email was this one engineer who was really unhappy about the royalty payments, uh, one being paid late, but two being much smaller over time. And so he complains about it in this very long, like just windy thread. But then there's all these emails that come afterward, people debating about whether, you know, this individual should get royalties to begin with. That's a pretty privileged position for them to be in in the first place. I was like, I worked at this other company and there's no way that they would ever give me royalties for this work. And then like an executive comes in, he's like, hey, here, we're trying to figure out like compensation. And it's like 20 emails long. And it's like this whole like fight about how people are getting paid there. There are a lot of interesting points of view in there. It's very open, a little aggressive, but like, um, it was just interesting to read. Now that you've read through all 4,000 messages and you've gotten a sense of the people and the characters, yeah. which Atari employee are you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I would hope to be Jed. He seemed to be very good at his job. I really like building stuff. I really like sort of doing technical work and technical analysis. Like I, I enjoy that. Like I love reading his work. I was like, oh, this is like a great way to think about this project. You know, he has a whole like thing about inventory and how like all of our inventory data is just totally messed up. And like, what is going on? It's actually kind of a funny email because he's just like, he's looking at us like, I can't believe we're doing this. This is crazy. And I identify with that a little bit. I, I like I like that work. Um, and I would I guess I would aspire to be uh, kind of like Jed in that way. <laughs> A big thanks to Vikram for this interview. Our conversation, like all others on the podcast, has been edited to fit into 15 minutes. Additional thanks to Nikhil Sonad, who composed this season's theme music, and to Brian Banks for helping to shape the entire endeavor. And thank you for listening. To subscribe to the Data is Plural newsletter, 
visit data-is-plural.com. Thank you.